Well, today our message is entitled, Don't Give Up. It may be a personal message for many of you here, or it may be a message that you have to carry to someone else. So we always have this unique role in our relationship with God. He ministers to us, but then he chooses to minister through us. So regardless of where you are today, as we look at God's word in the book of Acts, I want you to think about, does this apply to me personally? Do I need to apply some of these things and be encouraged by some of these things personally today? Or am I the vessel? Am I the one that God is going to give this message to me and then I'm going to carry it like a a cup of cold water? I'm going to carry it to someone else. That's our role here today. So may God empower you for that role. The book of Acts has been our, our landing ground for several months, and we are learning all kinds of things from it. If you are turning in it uh, with our Pew Bible, it's on page 985. But we are looking at uh, chapter 18 this morning. As we've walked through the book of Acts together, What we have seen is how the Holy Spirit has ministered through Paul, through Silas, in in the beginning of the book, through Peter, through the apostles. As they have witnessed, as they have been filled with the Spirit, and they've been witnessing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he has come, he has died for our sins, and God has raised him from the dead. And now we have hope if we put our faith in him. And they've gone from city to city. And, and currently we're looking at Paul and his, his journeys, his missionary journeys from city to city. But in the midst of, of looking at that and looking at the geography of that and looking at the different cultures and the different uh, attitudes of the people that he's tried to share the gospel with, I just want to focus for a few moments this morning on the person himself, on Paul. And I want you to see how the Spirit of God ministers to Paul in these journeys. We often just look at what is done through Paul and Silas and the apostles. But the Spirit of God is also going to minister powerfully to Paul. Because I believe there's evidence in the Scripture that he's getting tired and he is getting discouraged in the mission work that he has chosen. After all, Paul is a human like us. Just like us. So he needed God's help and encouragement and strength to keep on going as well. So if you're feeling similar, or you know of someone else who's feeling similar, because you're experiencing a difficult, long journey... You've experienced discouragement, people coming against you. Pay careful attention to the word of God this morning. Because I believe that the spirit of God wants to teach you a very important lesson and to encourage you in that lesson. So first of all, let's pick up where we left off last week in Acts chapter 17, verse 32. So just above Chapter 18, if you look there in verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, which is the gospel message that Paul is bringing to them, some began to ridicule him. And others say, 
yeah, we'll talk about that another time. That's my paraphrase. Like, yeah, okay, we're done. We're done right now. And this ridicule, we don't get the words to it exactly. We don't have a quote. But when you've been ridiculed, you know it. When you've been made fun of, when you've been put down, it has an effect on you. You're human, right? We're not made of steel. We're not superhuman. We're human. Right? So people ridicule us. People, people point out our flaws. People want to put us down. It affects us. So then it says that Paul left their presence, verse 33. So Paul left their presence. He wasn't, he wasn't going to stay there much longer, right? However, some people joined him. Some people believed. And that's the good part of the story. But these words affected him, I believe. And I believe that he left with some wounds, Maybe emotional wounds, but he left with some wounds this time. It says, after this, he left and he left Athens and he went to Corinth. Now, Corinth is another 50 mile walk. Now, I don't know about you, but when's the last time you walked 50 miles? You know, we all have the, you know, little stair steppers. I don't know how many steps that would be on your smartwatch, but it's got to be a lot of steps to get 50 miles in. It's going to take a lot of time. And during that time, he's leaving this one discouraging situation where he's been ridiculed for the gospel, and he's going to another unknown. He hasn't been to Corinth yet. And on Paul's 50-mile walk from Athens to Corinth, I'm sure that he must have been replaying in his mind some of what was said about him and to him. And I'm sure that he was disappointed that there wasn't a bigger response to the gospel. There was a response, praise God, but it wasn't a lot of people who came to Christ. It was a few. I mean, this was the intellectual capital of the world. He wanted the gospel to be planted there solidly. This city of Athens was filled with lost people going after idols and other gods and other philosophies, lost for eternity. And Paul went there to share the good news of the gospel. His heart was so full of love for lost people that we have a quote from him in the book of Romans. Listen to how much he loved those who were lost. In the quote, it says that he had great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. And he says he would have even given up his own salvation so that his Jewish brothers and sisters would be saved. If that were possible. It wasn't possible. That was not the exchange that God was going to give him. But, but he so deeply wanted to reach his people that he was in anguish over them. Turn with me for a moment to the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. It's not far from where we are. If you turn there, it's on page 1011 uh, in, the, in, the, in the Pew Bible again. But you can get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Because I think it reveals how 
Paul was feeling by the time he walked that 50 miles to get to Corinth. These are the words of Paul, and this is the book of First Corinthians. So it's to the people in Corinth. And he reveals to them how he was feeling. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll just read the first five verses. He talks about when he came to them. He says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Pay attention to verse 3. I came to you in weakness came to you in fear. I came to you in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. So he reveals how he was feeling. He was feeling weak. He was feeling fearful. He was trembling. He so desperately wanted his message to penetrate their lives and to bring them to Christ. But it sounds like he was doubting whether that was possible when he entered Corinth. Is this an indication that he had actually rethought what he was thinking? If you remember the message from last week, when he, was in, when he was in Athens, he used some of their words, some of the words of their poets, and some of their own words to try to craft his message in such a way that they would come to Christ. But only a few did. And so maybe when he was walking, I believe he was also talking to God, during that 50-mile walk, trying to figure out what can I do to reach them? How do I craft it in such a way that they will respond and know Jesus? I want them to know you, God. It's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm an emotional person. You might not believe that, some of you. But... Uh, uh, when I read scripture, I can't read it without feeling some of the emotion. It's not just intellectual knowledge. It's the, it's the life of a person, a real person. And Paul is a real person. And he's trying to do his best to share the gospel with those who he loves. He loves them so much he's willing to give up his own salvation for them if that were possible. Is that like you? Some of you moms, you desperately want your children to know the Lord Jesus. You've tried and tried, and yet it hasn't happened yet. Some of you dads, same thing. Let's not forget that these are real people. Paul's a real person. So he, he says, I, I, I went with fear. I went with trembling. I... I I didn't try to use human wisdom. I just boiled it down to the gospel of Jesus Christ and left the rest up to God. And the great thing about God 
is when we're weak, he is strong. And so we see in that passage in 1 Corinthians that God did it. Paul's saying, I didn't do this. This was the power of God. The Spirit of God empowered the message, the simple message of the gospel, and brought them to faith. Hallelujah. That is how it works, by the way. Not through your words or my words. How we've crafted them together and made a beautiful poem out of them. It's not about that. It's about the Spirit of God. For God loves those people even more than Paul. God loves your children even more than you. And he desperately, by his heart, because God is a God of heart, of love, he sent his son to bring salvation. And he sent the church to proclaim the salvation. So I hope that today in this message you will be encouraged to continue, even though it's hard, even though you get tired, even though you get discouraged because you're human, but that you will continue to share the gospel, the simple gospel, and not try to argue, argue someone into heaven or convince someone from your, your own craftiness on how to get there. Trust in the Spirit. Trust in God. So another thing that caused this discouragement and these feelings of weakness and fear for him was the constant conflict that Paul had. Think about it. We've already read the stories as we've studied the book of Acts. He's been thrown in prison. He's been beaten He's fought and split with one of his best friends, Barnabas. They're no longer on the same journey together. He'd been driven out of Macedonia. He was barely tolerated in Athens. And now, in Corinth, as recorded for us in in verse 6, they resisted him and blasphemed Blasphemed. We don't know what those words were, but they weren't nice words, right? They were either words against Jesus, and that's why Luke didn't want them recorded. You know, it may have been some swear words and then Jesus Christ and all of that kind of stuff mixed together. Who knows? But they blasphemed and they resisted the message. Paul was in constant conflict with those who he was trying to to bring the love of God to. And I believe that what we have here in this verse, Acts chapter 18, verse 6, I believe that Paul is at his breaking point. Because of the words that come out of him, he says, when they resisted and when they blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and he told them, your blood is on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. He loses it. He just, he can't take it anymore. He's gone to each Jewish synagogue in each city that had one and tried to share the gospel, and they continue to resist. 
And this loving man, this, this emotional man, this man that's willing to lay down his life so that others might find Christ, has had it. Have you ever been there? Ever just had it? He's ready to quit. He basically does quit. The fact that he says, from now on, I will go only to the Gentiles, means I quit this Jewish synagogue thing. I'm not coming to the Jews anymore. I'm finished. You won't listen to me. Now, when you shake your clothes, it's, it's, it's a weird cultural thing for us, but actually Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, verse 14, he told his disciples that if anyone does not welcome them or listen to their words as they visited people's homes and communities. It says in Matthew 10, they were to shake the dust from their feet and leave that community. So Paul's not doing something sinful here. He's just following the instructions of Jesus. The part of his comment about the blood on your, on your heads, right, means basically that they're the authors of their own destruction. He's brought them the good news. They've rejected it, and now he's like, that's not my problem. You did that to yourselves by rejecting the message. This sounds like an I quit message. I'm done. Goodbye. I'm so discouraged. I'm so worn out. I'm so tired of you resisting the message of the good news of the gospel that I'm not going to say it to you anymore. Now, before we move on to what God does in response to this, there's one more thing that might be discouraging to Paul. And that thing is his surroundings. Another reason that Paul may have been discouraged is that when he entered the city of Corinth itself, it was a crazy place. It was a very immoral place, a very sexualized place, materialistic place. And I'm sure he felt overwhelmed by the prostitution, by the sins, by the suffering all around him as he walked the streets of Corinth. And he may have wondered how God could possibly reach these very lost people. And how could he succeed in a place like that? So this review of things that may have discouraged Paul may not be too far from the types of things that discourage us today. As we look out in our culture, just, what a mess. What a mess. How could God possibly reach these people? They're so lost. The negative attitudes of people towards Jesus, not towards spiritual things, but towards Jesus. Remember, we talked about that last week. They love spiritual things, just not Jesus, just not the Bible. I'm sure as Paul walked into this city, he was already exhausted from the city before and from the long walk. And he wondered how he could possibly make an impact for the gospel. This reminds me 
of Elijah from the Old Testament, one of the prophets who God used powerfully during his time with Israel. But there's a, there's a story in 1 Kings that, that we won't go through the whole story, but basically um, the queen becomes very angry with him, and so he had to run for his life. And he ran and he ran and he ran until he was exhausted, and then he cried out to the Lord, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing, Elisha? What are you doing here? Because he's so far away from where he should have been. And Elijah's response to the Lord, as the Lord spoke to him, is, listen, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, but the Israelites, they have rejected your covenant, they have torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. These are the words of Elijah the prophet. To God, I'm the only one left. Have those ever been your words to God in your discouragement and frustration or fear or times of weakness? I'm the only one. I'm all alone. But do you remember the rest of the story, those of you who have read the book of 1 Kings? In his response to Elijah, God says some very interesting things. In 1 Kings 19, verse 18, God says to him, basically, you're not the only one. In fact, there are 7,000 others just like you who have not forsaken the Lord. 7,000 is a big number. The big group, Right? There's not seven, there's not 70 or even 700. 7,000 more like you. Why did God say that? Because, in other words, you're not alone. When you feel alone, you're not alone. God has his people. Those are his people. Those people just like you. And then in the rest of that story, he sends Elijah to some of those people so that there can be a connection. Because Elijah had made himself alone by running and running and running and running out into the wilderness. He had isolated himself. Not a good idea when you're discouraged, by the way. Just a little aside. Feeling discouraged? You want to isolate yourself. There's something about our emotional makeup that we, we want to get away. But that's not a good idea which we'll see in a moment, because part of God's cure for discouragement is other people. How does God cure our discouragement? Well, there's things that he uses to strengthen us and to give us courage again. And we'll see that in the rest of the story here in Corinth. So in verse 2, when Paul gets to Corinth, he found a Jew named Aquila. And his wife, Priscilla, he found, I don't know how, but somehow God arranged for him to meet these new people, people he didn't know before, a man named Aquila and his wife, Priscilla. And they just happened to be gifted in tent making like Paul was. So they had something in common. So maybe they were, you know, it's like when the ladies visit the quilt store, they start to talk to the other women about the quilts. 
oh, I made this one and that one or whatever. I don't know how they found one another, but God made it so that they found one another. Maybe Paul was going to buy some material for his new tent. And Priscilla was there also buying the same material for his new tent. And said, what are you doing? I'm making tents. Oh, me too. He sent him a friend. Someone who shared a skill, shared a business, actually. They went into business together. Paul spent about 18 months in Corinth, and part of his time there was making tents to sell, to get money, so that he could live, and so that he could continue on in his journey. It was necessary. It's part of the practical life of, of our lives, right? And that's what Paul was doing. So, so God, one of the ways to help us not to be discouraged is to send us people like us. People who maybe have similar interests or or people who are friendly enough to talk to us about those things and then build a new friendship. See, Aquila and Priscilla, they were Hebrew Christians already. But they were in the right place at the right time. We call it a divine appointment. At the right time, they had the right shared skills and shared, shared interests and they provided those interests provided income and a distraction. Why do I say a distraction? Paul needed to do something for a little while that wasn't just preaching in the synagogue and getting rejected and beaten up. Making tents in someone's backyard or in someone's house or whatever is a good distraction. Keeps him busy, gives him some income, gives him a friendship and something in common. Distractions aren't all bad. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, we just got to be doing the Lord's work, the Lord's work, the Lord's work, the Lord's work, the Lord's work. Sometimes he's giving you a skill or a hobby or something that is going to refresh you and give you a little bit of a rest from those people, those harsh people, those difficult people. So you can just be around some friends for a while and build a little community and be refreshed by that. We're people made to be in relationship with other people. Sometimes those relationships are hard, but sometimes they're joyful, and we should enjoy those. We don't want to become isolated when we're discouraged, and so God provided him some people. I think he's provided us some people too. Yesterday when we were remembering Eva in her memorial service, a couple of the people who spoke about their relationship with Eva were people who, the only way they met Eva, they had volunteered to bring her a meal or to give her a ride, and then a relationship began to establish itself. They talked. They shared. They found things in common. It was really beautiful because I already knew I was preaching this sermon. I was like, oh, this is God just showing me. He's still doing this. So we have things like mercy meals or grief share groups or other care ministries because there are people who are discouraged and they need to be around people who can encourage them. But God didn't leave it at that. It wasn't all on Priscilla and Aquila to to get Paul up and going again after he was ready to quit or in that feeling. God, actually in verse 9 and 10 of our chapter 18, visits Paul. He gives him some new friends, but he also gives him a new visit. This is very important. 
The Lord speaks to encourage him by being present with him. And let's look at what the Lord says. It says in verse 9, the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking and don't be silent. Now, what had Paul just done? I'm done with you. I'm not coming to synagogues anymore. I'm not sharing the gospel with you anymore. You won't listen. He said, I'm done speaking. So the Lord shows up in his, in his night vision, in his dream, and says, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking, and don't be silent. He gives him clear instruction. You feel like giving up, but don't. You feel like shutting up, but don't. That's clear instruction for the apostle to keep going. You know, when we're tired, when we're discouraged, we tend to shut down too. At least I do. Maybe you're all perfect. But we start to think, well, nobody wants to listen to me anyway, so why bother? Ever said that? Ooh, that's a bad one. I have to catch myself. Why bother? They don't listen anyway. This is a dangerous thing for the people of God who are on a mission for God, who are supposed to be sharing Jesus with the world around us. That is a dangerous thing to do. They won't listen anyway. Why bother? Right? That's just, if we do that, the lost will remain lost. Because we are his witnesses. He has given us his Holy Spirit. That's what this whole book is about. To empower us to be witnesses, to testify, to tell others about the love of God through Jesus Christ, his resurrection, his hope for the future beyond this world. He's given us the good news of the gospel. If we shut down and shut up, they suffer. They remain lost. Paul's the one who says later in in one of his writings, If someone doesn't tell them, how will they hear? Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. This message isn't just for Paul, and it's recorded here for us, his church, because there are temptations and discouragements and difficulties and fears. He starts with, do not be afraid, that keep us silent when the world desperately needs Jesus. You know, discouragement is actually a species of fear. Because I wondered why Jesus, when he spoke, when the Lord spoke, he said, do not be afraid, like the first thing. And he says that a lot. But he said it here specifically for Paul. And I thought, well, Paul didn't seem to be afraid. He seemed to be more angry. You know, sometimes emotions just are partners. Anger and fear can go together, right? But he starts out by saying, don't be afraid. Discouragement is a species of fear. We don't often remember, but the word is actually the loss of courage. So when you have lost courage, you are afraid, right? We have to break down words sometimes because sometimes we just use them and we forget what they mean. But our response to discouragement is often passive. We will shut down. We will shut up. We'll sit weighed down with a heavy kind of listless feeling, looking around and thinking, this is hopeless. 
This is hopeless. The world looks gray and bleak through the lens of fear. It makes us feel like giving up. And when we give into that and we give up, we get weighed down further because we know we're supposed to be sharing the gospel. And so now we feel ashamed because we're not actually being the witnesses of Jesus Christ that he's called us to be. And so on top of discouragement comes shame. And all of them keep us from being who God made us to be. They keep us down. And so Jesus says three things that are very important here to Paul and to us. Number one, verse 10, I am with you. So the reason you don't have to be afraid, the reason you should keep on speaking and not be silent is verse 10. I am with you. I, the God of the universe, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is all-powerful and all-knowledgeable and all-loving, is with you. He's with you. And then, he says, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you. In other words, I'm going to protect you. I am protecting you. No one will touch you. Now, that's amazing because we know that Paul gets touched later on. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. And then the third thing that he says, so he says, I am with you. No one will lay a hand on you. And like he said to the prophet Elijah, I have many people here in this city. He doesn't give a number, 7,000, but I have many people here in this city. In other words, you're not the only one. You might feel that way, but you're not. You're not alone, Paul. I'm here, and my people are here with you. The truth was all around him, and Paul just needed to hear it from God and be encouraged by it. God had surrounded Paul with all kinds of faithful people. Think about it. He had Silas with him. He had Timothy. He had Luke, who's writing this book to us. Now he has Aquila and Priscilla. There's also, as verse 7 and 8 tells us, look back at 7 and 8. When he left, after he had gotten fed up in the synagogue, he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door, actually across the street from the synagogue. I love this because they opened a ministry center across from the synagogue. That must have gone real well with the Jews. They were like, good, Paul's gone. And then someone said, did you see where he went? He's right across the street. Oh, <laughs> great. <laughs> so he's got these other people who are, who are part of this. He has another man named Crispus. Look at verse 8. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue. Again, this is a big deal what God did here to encourage Paul. And to grow his church. The leader of the synagogue. The leader of the Jews. The leader of the ones who were constantly rejecting the message. Their leader followed Paul. Across the street. To Justice's house. The new ministry center for Corinth. Awesome. He believed along with his whole household it says. 
Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, they believed and they were baptized. So God knew that Paul was at the edge of giving up, and so he showed him what he could do by the power of the Spirit. He rescued many in Corinth. And we have two books in the Bible, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, to show us the relationship that was established there. So I want to go back to the second thing that God said. So God said, I'm going to be with you. No one's going to lay a hand on you. And there's many people here, my people here. No one's going to lay a hand on you. So notice the Lord doesn't say you're going to be free from any further attacks. What he did promise is that no one would hurt Paul. But what could that mean? Because Paul could be hurt physically. Paul had many more sufferings to endure on the missionary journeys that he was on and would be on for the rest of his ministry. Paul was eventually martyred. So, no one could hurt him. The only way this can be true is if there's kind of like an outward kind of hurting and an inward kind of hurting. Maybe physical hurting versus spiritual hurting. Because he was safe for eternity in Jesus. He was forever enveloped in God's love. He may have been hurt physically, but he could not be hurt spiritually. Any further difficulties would not damage this inner security that Paul had with Jesus because of Jesus. And the point here is that for a time, the apostle had had enough, and the Lord stepped in to encourage him with his presence, with his people, with his protection, and with a new courage to keep on moving in the power of the Holy Spirit to share Christ wherever he went. And that's what we see Paul do. Verse 12 of chapter 18, Luke shares with us one final story here before Paul's going to leave Corinth. And it's this awesome example of what God can do, even when we can't imagine what he could do. How God could intervene to protect Paul and to keep the gospel moving through many people in the city. God's people. Some of them were Christians, and this one in this story was not. So in verse 12, it says, When Galileo was proconsul of Achia, the Jews had a united attack against Paul. So he was attacked. And they brought him to the tribunal. This man, they said, he's persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. And here's, here's where God interrupts the story. By using Galileo. As Paul was about to open his mouth in defense of that accusation, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or a serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. But if these are questions about words, names, and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to, to be a judge in such things. So he drove them out of the tribunal. That's an intervention of God. Through the justice system, 
You know, this is a guy who had the power. He could have thrown Paul into prison. He could have done all kinds of things. He just interrupts. Somehow he's just inspired to say, like, I don't want to hear it. Out with you. Out with you. And so God protects him. And we get this example of how God can do that in his perfectly timed intervention. He used a hardened Roman officer official to dismiss the case without even hearing it. Awesome. Awesome. Because God works in mysterious ways, and he can use whoever he needs to in whatever way he needs to to accomplish his purpose. So we are to never underestimate what God can do. When God has made his promises, he keeps them. And this is an example of that. So in conclusion, over the past year at Holden Chapel, we have seen the apostles, as we've studied the book of Acts, go through ups and downs, successes and discouragements of real life. And the reason we see this in God's word is because we need to see this. All of life is not a mountaintop retreat experience. Sometimes things get hard. Sometimes things take a nosedive. God is with us in both places, on the mountaintop and in the valley. We, we, we talk about that. We sing about that. But when we experience it for real, sometimes we get discouraged. Our emotions get the best of us. And we have discovered through studying God's word again and again, the Lord is faithful. The Lord will do it. He may not do it in the way that we think, in the timing that we think he should do it, but he will keep his word. He will never leave us or forsake us. He's given us his Holy Spirit to comfort us, to help us. Because as his witnesses, we all will experience troubles and blessings. Some people will listen and respond. Others will not. They will reject us. Jesus is here to remind us to not be afraid, to keep on speaking, to not be silent, and to believe that he will make a way. He is able to work through situations, good and bad, to bring about his purposes. The Lord will enable his people to keep on sharing Jesus and the power of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that brings people to Christ. We are mere instruments that God uses. We need to continue to allow God to minister to us and then through us until he returns. He will return one day. And this journey of the ups and downs, the blessings and the disappointments will be over. It will be all blessings from there. It's all uphill from there. Amen? So... Let's remember, this book started with Acts 1, verse 7 and 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. That's what God said. And if God said it, he's going to do it. We have to make ourselves available to him, even when we're discouraged, so that we can continue on and not give up. Amen? Amen. 